0: We're starting with don't waste, we're starting with don't waste your compassion. I have a burden about the, the, uh, conflict between liberal compassion and conservative compassion. And the liberal compassion for the poor seems to be blind to the butchery of the weakest people, namely the unborn. On the other hand, the conservative compassion is seemingly to many on the other side Uh, a blindness towards real living pain in the world of oppression and injustice and poverty while advocating very strongly for the weakest. And I just want to say that it seems to me that in, in our land we need leaders, church leaders and other leaders to rise up that embody the, the full range of biblical compassion for the glory of Christ. They really do care about the unborn. They articulate a way forward in Abortion and the defense of the unborn and they really do care about the poor. They really do care about the homeless. They really do care about addicts. They really do care about the brokenness of the urban scene where I live that seems so insoluble and intractable. They don't blow that off from their rich fat cat high level buildings saying that they think this is a better way forward. So that's, that's my on the issue of don't waste your compassion by splitting it in half and being only a right-wing kind of compassionate person or a left-wing kind of compassionate person, number whatever it is. Don't waste your enemies' Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink, and you'll bring coals of fire upon his head, which I think means either he will be brought to remorse or he will experience judgment, and in either way justice will have been done. You know, one of the big obstacles to loving our enemies, which is one of the most beautiful ways that Christ can be magnified, one of the great obstacles to returning good for evil, is that we feel like... Justice will not be done here. Especially if you were abused as a kid. Or you're a little kid and then just some horrible thing happened to you and now you're being asked to forgive and lay it down and not seethe with anger and bitterness after ten years of sexual abuse by some uncle or something. And now you're supposed to love this guy. You're supposed to return good for evil. And everything in you cries out, the universe will be broken and unjust if that just goes away. And Jesus, I mean, Paul says, Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. That's a promise that relieves you of needing to do justice. It's not wrong to do justice. not wrong to bring a man to an account, and if he should be in jail, he goes to jail. So be it. We've had situations like that at our church. But I'm saying, There are many situations where the obstacle, and it feels right, the obstacle to returning good for evil is that it'll treat evil like it doesn't matter. And this text says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That may sound strange to you, but that is a great incentive to love. It really is a great help to love enemies is the belief that if they spurn you, they'll meet God. And you don't need to settle it. He'll settle it. I would even say, this is going to sound really weird, that works in marriage really well. and my wife is not my enemy. I know that. But it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes I feel that way to her. And you know one of the biggest problems in marriage? This is 39 years, a lot of pain, a lot of happiness, a lot of struggles. And here's a, here's a lesson for our young folks. You, you older folks, you know this. Um... The snag is that you can't agree on the things that are serious enough to change. Like, is this sin? No, it's personality. I think it's sin. (laughs) Now what do you do? She thinks it's personality. I think it's sin. I think it's personality. She thinks it's sin. Now what do you do? If you don't Lay a lot of things down and say, God, if that's sin, you got to deal with it. Because I don't know how to deal with it when we can't even agree what it is. (laughs) And so you lay it on God. And God says, I can handle this. You just go back and love and bless. Don't waste your aging. I think I've said enough about that. Even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. Aging is a ripening for the kingdom. I hope. (laughs) I've seen so many old people get crotchety. I don't want to get crotchety. Tell me I'm not crotchety. (laughs) I just don't want to get like some old people I know, and I know some of it's physical. So let's pray for each other and Alzheimer's is real. I read the other day that 10 million baby boomers will get Alzheimer's. One in seven. I'm one of them. I'm the oldest baby boomer. January 1946. Will I be one of them? If I am, oh God, make me a sweet, forgetful person. so that Christ is magnified in my aging. Number, whatever, I'll stop saying number because I don't know the numbers anymore. Don't waste your retirement. I think the only thing to say there besides there is no such thing in the Bible is risk in the Bible is what it's about. Risk something. Be like Doug Nichols, head of Action International, colon cancer, surgery doctor says, you're not leaving the country. This is back during Rwanda, Hutus and Tutsi slaughtering each other. And he says, i got to go to Rwanda a few weeks after the surgery. The doctor says, you're going to die in Rwanda. Doug says, got to die someplace. (laughs) Then he went. Called his Jewish doctor from Rwanda, Jewish doctor, says, I'm not dead. (laughs) That's crazy. it's, It's a kind of crazy that I just look for in God's people. Esther to Mordecai when Mordecai said Esther you got to do something because all the Jews are about to be slaughtered and she says if I go in there I could get killed <laughs> he says we're all going to be killed and she says pray for me I will go and if I perish I perish <laughs> oh yes give me that kind of woman <laughs> want a church full of them Whew. I love it. Man. None of this wimpy... <laughs> or Joab to Abishai, this kind of man I like, that's the kind of woman I like, this kind of man I like, is Joab and Abishai. They're brothers. I got four sons. I love brothers. Like Bonanza. I love Bonanza. And, and Joab and Abishai are facing the Syrians and the Ammonites and they're coming at them and they, they're trapped. And here's what Joab says to Abishai. If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you will help me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. Let us play the man for our people and the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Oh, yes, Joab. What a great word. So. When you're retiring you think, "God, I'm not going to waste this. I have done my thing. I'm done with that work. I got a chapter in front of me. There's some energy in my legs. I can still see a little bit. I can still hear a little bit. My hands still work. God, use me. And may you do what seems good to you wherever I go and whatever I do. So, oh may I not hear of any of you throwing away your life on the golf course or in the fishing boat for the last 15 years of your life. Don't waste your youth. Ecclesiastes 12, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You think as a young person, I'll wait later to repent, so I can sow my wild oats here. The Bible is real clear. There will come a day... When you have sown so many oats, you cannot repent. That's what happened to Esau in Hebrews 12. Do you remember? He sought for repentance and he could not find it. He had sold his birthright and he had sold his blessing for a bowl of pottage. Don't sell your life as a young person thinking I'll get serious when I'm 18 or I'll get serious when I'm 25. Get serious now. Don't you just love Brett and Alex Harris going around doing these Teenage seminars called Do the Hard Thing. My little 12-year-old is totally blown away by this. I mean, she's reading serious books. She's planning to go to the conference when it comes to Minneapolis because this, what, is the 18- and 19-year-old guys are cool, first of all, and they're doing it all for Jesus, and they're assembling all these teenagers and say, Do a hard thing for Jesus. Don't mess around in and worrying about your hair and your f- clothes and whether... T- things out just right and shoes and and whatever just get a life wake up there's lots of things teenagers can do for the kingdom it's a whole new paradigm churches shouldn't do play youth ministries they should do passionate ministry youth ministries give teenagers a vision for what they can be and what they can accomplish next don't waste your sexuality Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Glorify God in your body." That means don't fornicate or commit adultery. Chaste abstinence before marriage, either homosexual or heterosexual, and faithfulness to one woman, one man, after marriage. God owns your body. A text is just crystal clear. Got a... Uh, We were fighting the condom issue 20 years ago, whether they should be advertised on TV in the Twin Cities. And I wrote an editorial on chastity, and I thought this was a bad idea to try to be aggressive in telling all the kids about condoms on television. guy wrote me. And said, I can't believe you're trying to import your morality onto me. I'll have you know I have a girlfriend and we don't withhold anything from each other. And the last thing I would consider is the denial of my personhood by saying, I shouldn't have this sexual experience because I'm not married. He was really bent out of shape. I I don't know if that was his tone of voice. It just read that way. (laughs) So I wrote him back because he was he was kind enough to put an address in his letter. And I wrote him back and and I said, this is what I said, you know... The most sexually whole person in the universe was Jesus Christ. And he never had sex. Ever. And he never will. Ever. I plead with the single people in my family, in my church family. You think you can't be whole? You think you can't be complete if you don't do this? You're gonna miss this. You're gonna, if you don't ever get married, you just never, you think we're gonna NEVER have sexual relations? I mean, we live in the world! You think we're gonna NEVER have sexual relations? And I would say, Jesus didn't. Ever. Never was anybody more full, more whole, more beautiful, more rightly related to women and men than Jesus Christ. And he never had sex. That's very significant. If God has that gift for you, he has a spouse for you. And if he doesn't have a spouse for you, what a beautiful gift to him and to the world if you value Jesus above that Don't waste your marriage. Here, I just want to say this. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a great mystery, and I refer it to Christ and the church. The meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant love between Christ and his church. That's the meaning of marriage. To display to the culture the beauty of covenant love between Christ and his church. Don't waste it. It's a parable for the world to read. Next, don't waste your singleness. Paul loves his singleness. You know that? He loves it. He wants everybody to be like that. He says crazy things. In First Corinthians 7, all you singles know First Corinthians 7. I'm not sure you like it, but you know it. It's It says, um, I want everybody to be like I am. I want them to be single, but each has his own gift. You're not sinning if you marry, you're not sinning if you don't. And then he says these strange things. The the unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this not for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, there is a glorious freedom in singleness for Christ. And there's a glorious partnership in marriage for Christ. Last Wednesday night at our church, we had a five-woman panel led by Sam Crabtree, the executive minister, all of them single. One in her 20s, one in her 40s, one in her 50s, and one in her, how many is that? There were five each decade. They skipped, I think they skipped 30s. These were the most intelligent, wise, deep. I just sat there enthralled at this hour and a 15-minute conversation that they were having. And all of them except Joyce, who's a widow, said they wanted to be married, including the 79-year-old. She's Char. Char Ransom. Oh, what a glorious woman. She said, never too late. I'm available. I have a friend who's 70. She just got married. (laughs) What a magnificent non-waste of that evening to say, I'm totally content. She, She pours her life out for this church more than anybody else and she'd love to be married at 79. I mean, just... Most women want to be married. Most men want to be married. It's not a wrong to want to be married, but these women wore that just totally honest, totally honest. all of them attractive, all of them intelligent, all of them articulate. Probably I'm so intimidating the guys run away. And uh, they are they are making good use of their singleness because while they just are honest to God, I would love to be married, they are not wasting their singleness waiting for Mr. Wright. He's dinking around with the surfboard somewhere. (laughs) Serious. He'll grow up. Be patient, maybe. Don't waste your prayers. There's a text in James that says... You do not have because you do not ask. Ask, you you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's put within you? Now, do you get that picture? He calls them adulteresses because they ask for things in prayer to use wrongly. Why? Where did he come up with that? Adulteresses? The feminine. So a person who prays to God for a thing that he will use on his own passions is an adulteress. You get that? It goes like this. Your husband is in your house and he's in the master bedroom. Your boyfriend is in the den. Okay? And your boyfriend wants 50 bucks from you. And then he'll be happy again. And you have sex together tonight while your husband is sleeping. So, you go and pray to your husband. Honey, could I have $50, please? It would make me happy. And he gives it to you. You say, thank you, good night, I have some things to do. He goes to sleep and you go and give it to your boyfriend and have sex. That's what this text says. That's prayer. If you ask God for things that are not designed to magnify the value of your husband, you're an adulteress. You make a cuckold. You know that old word? You make a cuckold out of God. It means a, a man who's been cheated on by his wife. Don't waste your prayers like that. Ask God, ask God, ask God for everything you need and then use it for His glory, not to magnify the worth of some alternative God or boyfriend. Don't waste your prominence. Not everybody's prominent. Some of you are more prominent than others. Everybody's prominent with somebody. Why do I even include this? Well, I include it? Because I ran across it in my devotions. And I have in mind Acts 12 On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man! And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last (laughs) That's serious. (laughs) Put on his robes. People are standing in front of him. Voice of a God, not of a man. That's prominence. And he receives it. He receives it. Oh, that feels good. Feels good to be prominent. Do a regional conference in San Luis Obispo. Feels so good. Hope they're not mad about the Q and A thing. <laughs> just be nice if they were happy with me. You think money's dangerous? That's dangerous. <laughs> that ego thing is more dangerous than money. So what, what? What's the problem? He didn't give glory to God and. That's not me saying, "Oh, oh, glory to God here! I can't do anything about that." God, just go, words, words, words. It's a deep heart thing. So when you're done here, you go out and and you fall down and say, "Lord, if anything good came, that's you." Don't waste your prominence by being eaten by worms. Don't waste your spiritual gifts. Everybody is to live for the glory of Christ, but spiritual gifts are like the prism that you are that nobody else is. This is the way I see spiritual gifts. I don't have a nice list of teaching and helps and administration. That's all true, but it's way more big and way more diverse than that. Spiritual gifts, I think, are when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, fills you and energizes you, A dedication of your total self to Him in the uniquenesses of you shape a kind of prism that when the glory of God shines on it, it refracts out in colors of His excellencies that nobody else can refract. Spiritual gifts are doing what you do, filled with the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit for God. I would encourage you not to consult mainly with lists. I would say, start loving people with all your heart by doing what you love to do. Put those two together. What do I love to do? Like, I like to write or I like to surf. Okay, say something nice about the surfers. I like to surf. (laughs) And I will dedicate this totally to the Lord and he will make that a spiritual gift. He will. If it can be made a spiritual gift, he'll make it one. It's a matter of, here's who I am, here's who God made me, minus sin, this Prism is shaped like nobody else on the planet. Don't waste your prism. Don't waste the shape you are. Nobody in this room has been created by accident. I don't care how insignificant and inferior you feel compared to all others around you. You're not a mistake. God made you the way you are. What He wants is for absolute devotion, absolute allegiance, absolute consecration. And He will take that, knock off the sin pieces, and then... Wipe away all the stuff that hinders and he will shine on that you and there will be a refraction that some people will see they'll never see from me. Ever. I will never get near that person. They wouldn't come within 10,000 feet of me. And because of the unique you and where God's put you and what he's made you, they'll see him through you. Don't waste your racial diversity. Big issue in America, isn't it? Never goes away. From one thing to the next, it's a huge issue. In church, it's a big issue. In our church, it's an issue. I want it to be an issue. It is not a social gospel issue. It is a blood of the cross issue. For he himself is our peace. Who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Talking about Jew and Gentile, but it applies to all ethnic diversity. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two or ten or five thousand making peace and reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. It's a cross issue, this issue of reconciliation and harmony. They sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Every tribe. He purchased them all. We need to show the world the capacities of the church to be one ethnically diverse and one in faith. It's huge, huge testimony to the church. Pastors, never stop working on that. It's the hardest thing you'll ever work on in the sense that you do the best thing you can you get criticized from 18 sides you blew it you said the wrong thing you hurt me now will you get up and keep trying or will you just take your ball and go home I've tried that racial harmony thing it never works nobody's ever satisfied it doesn't work I say well I'm there forever I adopted an African American baby so that I could never go away from this my daughter's African American now I love her as a person but I knew what I was getting into I knew what this would mean I knew what this would mean in my family all southerners I knew what this would mean in my church I'm here for the long haul this girl is growing up in this mainly white church I'm here to say this will never go away I love you created in the image of God my daughter And we together will walk into this world and in this partnership, we will do our best to make a difference for this painfully divided and misunderstood world. And the next one is, don't waste your cultural diversity. They're not the same thing. You think all blacks think alike and all Latinos think alike and all whites think alike? Wake up! Lots of different black cultures, lots of Latino cultures, lots of white cultures. In America, huge stew pot here. It's not a melting pot, it's a stew pot. Now, the Bible has lots to say about that. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Really? Amazing. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and rose that he might be the Lord of the living and the dead. Isn't it amazing where he goes with eating? I mean, he says, look, there are all kinds of disagreements. You're never going to agree on food. You're never going to agree on wine. You're never going to agree on how to keep the Lord's day. You're never going to agree on a hundred things that are cultural. Let everyone be fully convinced and do it in honor of the Lord and honor that in each other. Jesus is the answer. He's going to look beautiful where that happens. Don't waste the call to stay put. i got three more, but bang, 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 and we'll be done. Uh, Don't waste the call to stay put. I'm saying this for those of you who are going to feel terrible if I end on the missionary note. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 7, you were bought with a price, so don't become slaves of men. So brothers, whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I love that. So, you got a job as an engineer, got a job as a computer programmer, nurse, a student, whatever, stay there. Don't be a missionary. And I mean exactly what I say. Stay there, and then don't miss these last two words, with God. Blow you out of the water. And everybody around you will know that person's different. If everybody became a missionary, there'd be no salt. There'd be no light. Okay relax now I'm going after the rest of you I don't know how God does this I don't know how he does it did it for Moses did it for Joshua all twelve apostles yanked out of their fishing life yanked out of their tax collector life yanked out of their zealot life bang, 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 bang they're leaving they're leaving they're changing and God in this room what? I'd say two, three hundred people got to change I mean change your job and you know who you are Because you've been feeling the roots, they're starting to loosen. You don't know what's going on. It just feels like there's kind of an unsettledness. You don't know what it is. There's a, it's just, I'm already, I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 60 and I'm starting to feel like God is taking the tree and like this so he doesn't have to break it when he pulls it up. And that's who you are right now. And you're hearing me say this and say, whoa, so that's why I came to this conference. Yes, it is. I expect letters. I expect emails in five years. remember that slow conference you remember that well i was there and you said when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and then he said to the disciples the harvest is plentiful the laborers are few pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers where they come from jobs So I'm praying, God, do it. Do it in this room. There are few workers in hundreds of needs around the world that are either paid or not paid, but they're more strategically located than you are now. And some of you don't need to hear that, because you're strategically located, and others of you are saying, I think that's me. I pray for you. This conference is meant by God to be the turning point for some of you. And I just have to trust him, trust him to make it plain which you are. Finally, last one, don't waste your death. Don't waste your death. For some it will come this year, probably, and for others later. And here's here's the verse and close. Truly, truly I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used this is John twenty one eighteen you used to dress yourself, go where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. They will stretch out your hands. This he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. You are never done living for the glory of God on this earth until you die. And in the moment of death, it is a high calling to live as Christ and to die as gain. And when you experience your death as gain, you will show the world or all the nurses at least, and your kids, he was more precious than life, which is why I'm smiling behind this oxygen mask. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these folks' patience. Forgive us if we should have followed through with the Q&A. Help us as we run up there to the lobby and do some of that now. But Lord, mainly... Don't let us waste our lives. If we should stay where we are, make it mighty in truth and in the Spirit. And if we should change where we are to another place, may we discern your leading. But above all, may the essence of the unwasted life be the magnifying of Jesus. And may the origin of it be the gospel. And may the appearance of it be love. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Thank you. You've been very kind.